nerds, and welcome to another episode of the Modern Health Nerd Podcast, where every week we bring you fascinating conversations with the movers, shakers, and innovators in food, health, agriculture, and everywhere in between. I'm your host, Teresa Sam Houghton, Chief Nerd at the Modern Health Nerd, and welcome back for another episode of our February Fitness Month. Why are we doing a fitness month here on a podcast where we usually talk about plant-based food? Because we can fix our food, we can fix our diets, but if we're not moving, we're missing a critical part of the holistic care of our bodies. And today, we're merging fitness and plant-based diets with our guest, Robert Cheek. Really excited to have Robert on. I met him back oh, I can't even remember how many years ago now, at Albany VegFest in Albany, New York, when he had a booth for his vegan bodybuilding and fitness brand. Robert has a really interesting story. He started out as a farm kid, and not only a farm kid, but a skinny farm kid. So how did he go from that, eating a pretty standard diet, to the 220-pound natural bodybuilding champion he is today? That's what we talk about on today's podcast, along with a lot of other things about plant-based diets, fitness, health, disease, planetary health, climate change, a whole lot of things for us to delve into today. Robert is an extremely engaging, very active, very energetic man, and so I hope that you enjoy our conversation. Well, Robert, welcome to the podcast, and thanks for joining me for Fitness Month. It is really exciting to have you here. Thanks, Teresa. Really excited to be here and looking forward to today's conversation. So why don't you kick it off by letting people know who you are, what you're doing, and how you really got into it. I've been checking out your story in in your website and all of that, and it's it's very interesting stuff. Well, I'm going to start with saying something kind of strange. I think where I how I got here is because I was able to connect the dots, uh, many dots ahead. That's something I've just been able to do uh, throughout my whole life. So when I became vegan 25 years ago, I you know, pictured that someday I, I could write books about it and be an athlete and, and all of these things. And so that's really where, where it started. I mean, a long time ago when I was connecting the dots back in uh, third grade at eight years old, wanting to be a, a writer someday. And so as far as the vegan aspect, which is you know why a lot of people do want to talk to me or or the only way that I'm relevant in the fitness world is from the vegan aspect started back in 1995. And that was, you know, I grew up on a farm in Corvallis, Oregon, and uh, had all kinds of farm animals, cows and chickens and turkeys and geese and rabbits and guinea pigs and horses, ponies, I mean, you name it. And I would show animals in 4-H and sell them at the auction and that was my life as a, as a farm kid. But one day, my older sister, who had already become vegetarian and then later vegan, uh, back in the mid-90s, uh, decided that she was going to organize an animal rights week at our high school. And she's two years older than me. I, I had really honestly no interest. Uh, I wanted to be a pro wrestler. I wanted to get bigger and stronger. I was drinking milk to the point that sometimes I'd almost throw up because um, I, I saw the commercials, Milk Does the Body Good, and I really was impressed by these big, strong guys in the commercials. And I decided, you know what, just out of respect for my sister, I'm going to be vegan for this week, whatever that means, you know? And so I went to this, it was a week-long event. I went to this Animal Rights Week. I listened to speakers talk about animal rights and veganism. I watched videos of factory farming and animal testing. And I had conversations with people. I read literature. Um, a lot of the stuff was like black and white flyers or even black and white videos back then. 
in the mid nineties. Uh, and, and that inspired me to become vegan myself. And I started on December 8th, 1995, already a five sport athlete and, uh, embraced this plant-based diet and vegan lifestyle. And two years later, I was co-organizing the animal rights week at our high school. And I went on to, you know, do the things that I do today, write books and get involved in film projects and uh, tour and, and talk about the vegan fitness lifestyle. So what are some books and film projects that you've already put out that are available right now that people could check out if they wanted to get a little bit more of a sense of the kinds of things that you're putting out and that excite you? So I filmed way back in 2005. Uh, I filmed this documentary called Vegan Fitness Built Naturally with Brendan Brazier and Tanya Kay. And that's just like free on YouTube these days. Back then, I used to sell DVDs and tour around the country and give talks. And it was really fun because it came out before YouTube or right when YouTube was just coming out in 2005. And, uh, and that was fun, but that's just a, so for historical context, people can see, you know, what I was doing in the, in the vegan fitness arena 15 years ago. And then 10 years ago, I released my first book called vegan bodybuilding and fitness, and then later wrote shred it and plant-based muscle, which are both on Amazon and online and on veganbodybuilding.com. And I, I guess I didn't, I didn't mention part of that in that part of that story is that, which I guess is quite relevant is that when I became vegan, I barely weighed 120 pounds, uh, if that, uh, at age 15. And today I'm 220 pounds as a multi-time champion vegan bodybuilder. And that's you know why I'm on the show today, because I was able to do this thing that 25 years ago, uh, people thought was not possible. Uh, and this was you know slightly before the internet. People didn't know that you could build muscle on a vegan diet or plant-based diet. In fact, my parents were concerned. Uh, my friends were concerned. My athletic coaches were concerned. Everyone was concerned for my well-being because I stopped eating animal protein. And of course, now 25 years later, uh, what's the common uh, the common perception by a lot of people is that oh, I know I should go plant-based for my health. I mean, it's a complete reversal in perspective. It was I fear for your health and your well-being, and you're going to be skinny and scrawny. And you're never going to do anything in sports. In fact, you might just get sick and and you know be really ill if you're not not eating animals. And just a couple just a couple of decades later, it is now one of the most popular approaches to prevent and reverse diseases is to adopt a plant-based diet. So you know that's been a huge part of this whole experience, and I've written about that. You know, so I've written a number of books already, and a new one coming out soon. And it's, it's, it's really documenting that uh, approach backed by the evidence-based science that Dr. T. Colin Campbell, Dr. Michael Greger, Dr. Car Carlo B. Esselstyn Jr., Brenda Davis, registered dietitian, and others have endorsed because it's something that you know, I experienced in my own life, uh, have the anecdotal perspective and experiences, and then matched with the reasons why those things happen, you know, why I was able to build muscle or, or improve as an athlete gain strength and all of that in the ways that a plant-based diet benefits uh, health and human performance. I also have a little bit of anecdotal for that too. I was super skinny for other reasons. And uh, around the same time that I knew I needed to put on weight, I went vegan and I put on 25 pounds. So I went from 90 pounds to 115 pounds and I'm still a little under where I want to be, but it's also proof positive that you can do it on a vegan diet, which is amazing. Uh, speaking of 
Okay, so 25 years ago. Now, I've been plant-based for about 11 years, and I remember how difficult it was then. What was it like to be a vegan 25 years ago, especially compared to now where we have all of these, like the alt protein is exploding and the cheese is exploding. What's the con? What was the contrast like? It was really different uh, than it is today in a lot of ways. And, and it, part of it has to do with context too. I was a teenager, right? I was 15 years old. So I didn't have a lot of my own money, but I was making my own decisions as far as what I wanted to eat, right? So for me, it was a shopping experience that was, I was a high school kid. So it was like um, bread rolls and bagels and chips and salsa and pasta and this kind of stuff. And, and not always the healthiest stuff. And I admit that, and I've, I've certainly written a lot of articles and such about that, that it was you know, at, at the time, I just didn't want to eat animals. I didn't want to contribute to animal suffering. And so I ate a lot of processed carbohydrates. Um, I'm sure quite a few oils and fats and a lot of the, the prepackaged and frozen stuff that I was eating and you know, eating a lot of uh, processed soy products like crazy, like those uh, vegan uh, hot dogs and, and bologna slices and all that kind of stuff. And that's what was accessible. Luckily, I lived in, though I was in a farming community, it was, a, it was a, also a college town and and, and even though it was an agriculture university, an agriculture town, we had uh, a co-op, um, a cooperative grocery store that had tons of, of vegan stuff. And back then, of course, there were things like Cliff Bars and uh, soy milk and Rice Dream <laughs> vegan ice cream. I mean, it was, it was somewhat limited, but um, those things were there, as well as just uh, grocery stores that have uh, produce and the things that you would want to eat on a healthy, balanced diet you know, fruits, vegetables, grains, legumes, nuts, and seeds, all of that. But as far as things like restaurants, those were harder to come by. There was a, a vegetarian restaurant in my town, um, still there. It's been there for 40 years. And, and that was great. And you know, there were a few other restaurants that would uh, make some sort of substitutions or um, create some options. But I wasn't at that point familiar with a lot of international cuisine, nor did we have a ton of it in my small town. Uh, it wasn't until years later that I discovered that Thai food, Indian food, Ethiopian food, Chinese food, Mexican food, Japanese food, Vietnamese food, many types of international cuisine is heavily plant-based. It's heavily um, rice and vegetable, uh, tofu, coconut, curry, this kind of stuff. Uh, and so over time, I started to develop uh, interest in different types of food. But early on, it wasn't just the diet that was tough. It was being an athlete in many sports and having like leather shoes and leather sports equipment and actually even creating some change within my high school, getting them to order synthetic, uh, synthetic balls for um, physical education classes and for recreation, um, non-leather basketball, footballs, things like that. I, I played a role in changing that because I spoke out about it. And so these were things that were part of it because I got into it for animal rights, even though I was an athlete, that still guided, you know, my behavior back then and the things that I would uh, talk about and work to achieve. So uh, it was completely different climate back then. And now, I mean, it's unbelievable how easy it is to be a vegan athlete in today's world. And a lot of people are taking advantage of that. We saw, you know, the interest has peaked so much. We saw the Game Changers come out and a lot of people talked about that. I actually went to see the only showing that we had near where I am. And we don't get a lot of those like exclusive showings. And that that impressed me. I knew that it was moving in that direction. And now let's actually talk specifically of fitness 
for a minute. Yeah, you you mentioned that you feel like the only way you're relevant in fitness is because you're vegan, but I I don't I don't know if that's like really true because it seems like you've got a pretty interesting and varied history in the fitness world. So could you just kind of walk us through that trajectory? You said you started out as an athlete. Like when did that start and what made you make the switch to stuff like bodybuilding? Because there's such a difference between being like a high school athlete and then getting to the point where you're really packing on the muscle and lifting super heavy weights and winning competitions. Yeah. You know, like I said, it goes back to, for me, connecting the dots. I was a a young kid growing up on a farm, very active and playing sports and, you know, playing soccer uh, in third grade wrestling and fourth and fifth grade, like, you know, competing in tournaments and stuff and wrestling and uh, playing basketball and on teams in elementary school and all of that. And it, you know what, really the turning point for me was in elementary school, we ran the mile, we did this mile run, you know, which I think is probably fairly standard in a lot of schools, but I'd never done it before. And just being a super competitive person, I, I did pretty well at it. Like I was pretty fast and, and that would have been, I don't know, fourth or fifth grade, maybe one of the fastest, you know, in the entire school. And so I did it again, you know, the next year. And then when I got to middle school, I realized they actually posted your name and the time like on the wall in a glass case outside the gym, you know, big middle school, hundreds of students. And so I made it a point to make that top 10 list. In fact, you know, sometimes make number one on the list in the mile in sixth grade, seventh grade, eighth grade. I just was so, so into it. So into running and then running helped my soccer. It helped my basketball. It helped wrestling. It helped track and field. It just helped support all these other things. And so then when I got to high school, it was the same kind of thing, but it was these, these mile times were posted in the locker room. So not, you know, for everyone to see, but, you know, for, I guess, you know, all people of that gender who, who, who look at those things within each locker room. And so I, I was still, again, inspired to run really fast. And so I did, I even would try to uh, like set the all-time school record. I'd, I'd actually go out there by myself with the PE teacher, who was also the football coach, with his timer and my friend cheering me on to go try to set the, you know, the mile record. And I never did. I was a little bit short. I ran about a four minute, 50 second mile pace. I never did set the school record, but, um, but that, that made me really competitive. And I had the opportunity to play some varsity sports and, and compete at a high level uh, as an athlete. And then because running was something I was naturally good at, I decided to do that in college for a year. I just wanted to do something in college, either, either play soccer or run cross country or track and field. I just, I wanted to be a college athlete because I was so into sports and I wasn't good enough at basketball or wrestling or tennis or the other sports that I played. I just wasn't good enough. I was on the number uh, one ranked soccer team in, in the state. We'd won the state championship the year prior to me making the varsity team. And then I was on the number uh, two ranked cross country team in the state of Oregon. And so I, you know, I, I was competing at a high level. So I knew I could probably go play in college, either one of those sports. And I decided to stay home and I ran a college at at Oregon State University. Uh, I ran cross country at Oregon State University for a year. And it was around that time that an old childhood friend uh, that I grew up with, actually since preschool, uh, introduced me to the sport of bodybuilding and lifting weights. And I was, back then I was into like pro wrestling and He-Man and Captain Planet um, before that. And I was just into being bigger and stronger because you heard I was barely over hundred pounds when I became vegan at age 15. 
I was 89 pounds going into eighth grade. Yeah. So, you know, 13, 14 years old. And I was just never, I was just, I was just never a, a big um, or, or a strong athlete. And so I got interested in the sport of bodybuilding that I knew nothing about, quite frankly. I've never seen it except for these muscle magazines and grocery stores that quite frankly intimidated me with all the veins and, and uh, you know, steroid muscle. But this was something, this was an opportunity for me to, to pursue my strength building goals that I always had. And I'm sure some people listening can relate when you're one of the smallest guys on the soccer team getting knocked around or on the basketball court, getting knocked around or wrestling and, and all all of that. It's you just, you just, you know, crave something you don't have. Right. I mean, a lot of us do that. We want something we haven't experienced and that, and I wanted to be bigger and stronger. And at this point, five years into my vegan lifestyle, I really wanted to make the case that you could build muscle as a vegan. You could get bigger and stronger as a vegan. That actually meant something to me. I thought that might make a difference in the world around me. It might make a difference for animals. It might inspire other people that they too could do it. And so I started lifting weights and uh, struggled initially um, just because I didn't understand the, the calorie intake versus expenditure relationship. And I was still running, still cycling, still doing body weight exercises and weight training and uh, you know, wasn't gaining any weight. But then I took a new approach, followed the Body for Life program and, you know, put on uh, 19 pounds in 12 weeks, 28 pounds in total in 10 months, another 10 pounds later, and I was a bodybuilder. And then just a couple years later, I won my first bodybuilding competition. And then another one years later, and then wrote books and, and all this kind of stuff. So that's kind of my, my journey to whatever relevancy uh, I have in the fitness industry, which you know, I have described being fueled by plant-based as maybe the only reason, but I guess another reason, as you kind of asked about here was that maybe it's that whole transformation thing, you know, back before there was hashtag transformation Tuesday, those things were harder to come by those before and after photos, but I, I lived that, you know, and now here I am a hundred pounds heavier than when I became vegan. And maybe there's not too many people that have done that. And so that gives me an opportunity to uh, tell that story for vegans and non-vegans alike about what it takes to do that kind of transformation, what kind of training program and consistency and dedication uh, that can lead to that result. What changes did you notice since you went vegan kind of during your athletic journey and then you started to really hardcore pack on the muscle and focus on that? What changes did you notice when you went vegan and started to fuel yourself with plants instead? Yeah, that's a good question. And it's kind of a difficult question to answer because being 15 years old, when I made that transition, you know, I just, I wasn't super aware of what it was like when I was 14, you know, it wasn't something that I was looking for necessarily because I wasn't doing it for, um, an athletic edge or advantage or some sort of expectation. I just didn't want to eat animals anymore. And so, um, I didn't notice a whole lot, but what I can say, uh, unequivocally, and I've said this in, 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 so many times uh, in in my writing and everything was that a plant-based diet didn't slow me down. Um, I can't, I can't say for sure that it, you know, made me um, a better athlete. And I was a better athlete as I got into my junior and senior years in high school and made some varsity teams and performed at a really high level. Um, I can't say for sure it was the plant-based diet that did that because I always had this work ethic and this drive and this connected dots ahead of time, like today's workouts can impact tomorrow. 
and it's going to impact a year from now. And maybe it'll help me do this at a university level someday, or maybe I can be a professional athlete, or maybe someday I'll be on magazine cover or whatever. I thought about all those things, those early years. So it wasn't just the diet. There was a, there was a mental approach as well, but the diet obviously didn't slow me down or didn't create barriers or obstacles that prevented any of that success. And, and then I think when I got into lifting weights, I think focusing on a really nutrient dense diet, you know, one just really rich in vitamins, minerals, amino acids, um, essential fats, antioxidants, fiber, water, you know, without dietary cholesterol and without lots of saturated fat and without a lot of excess calories just being stored as fat or being eliminated or going to waste. I feel like I was really efficient that way. You know, I mean, it took me a while to, to start to include um, things like broccoli or some of these foods we don't necessarily love when we're younger, but I realized the power in plant-based foods and their nutrient density, their nutritional return on investment. And I embraced that in my early twenties and, um, and sure enough, it fueled a bodybuilding career that lasted almost a decade. And again, I competed with people who were consuming multiple chicken breasts per day, sometimes dozens of egg whites per day, um, lots of meat of all types, whey protein drinks and all of that. And I just took a different approach and it, it worked for me. It worked for some of my friends who were doing it too. And this whole veganbodybuilding.com community forum that we had with thousands of people, we were all doing this in the early 2000s. And it seemed to be something that paved uh, a road for me to do what I do today. So talking of nutrient density, I know that people still ask this question, especially when you tell them that you're vegan and you lift, even if you just kind of lift in an amateur kind of casual way like I do. I've actually gotten where do you get your fat, but you still get where do you get your protein. So I want to ask you not only that specifically, but you are a big proponent I've seen uh, on, on your site and in your writing of like doing this in a clean way and not relying on those supplements that turn you into one of those bodybuilders with all those bulging veins that scare people on magazine covers. What is your philosophy with eating? And just because I'm a nerd for this stuff, if you know, what what are your like approximate macros just for muscle building and maintenance? Yeah, absolutely. And, and I do know, I do know those numbers. And I have talked a lot about that. I'm glad you brought that up about um, not only uh, supplements, of various types, you know, sports nutrition supplements, protein powders, anabolic steroids, whatever. Um, I've been, you know, for me, I've been lifetime drug and alcohol free. That's just uh, something I've just done for myself. So never, never even had alcohol, beer, wine, anything like that, or cigarettes or whatever. So I, I'm totally drug and alcohol free, which extends to bodybuilding. So I competed in drug tested events. We do urine tests, polygraph tests, you know, make sure we're all natural. I <laughs> went through those tests for years. So I've, I've decided to be you know, an all natural athlete myself, but then, uh, I was using a lot of protein powders, you know, plant-based protein powders, pea protein, rice protein, hemp protein, uh, you name it, a bunch of different things and using branch chain amino acids and essential fatty acid supplements, glutamine, creatine, you know, all this kind of stuff, because that's what, you know, I learned in the bodybuilding community. That's most of these things are synthetic, you know, lab made, they're all vegan these days, and then just get plant-based protein powders. So I was doing all of that and consuming up to like five protein drinks a day and, uh, and still not even weighing 200 pounds at that time. And then I started working for Forks Over Knives in 2011. And uh, Brian and Robbie and the guys at Forks Over Knives would tease me because I was there, there I was working in their office in Santa Monica, promoting this film with 
Dr. Campbell and Esselstyn and Barnard and all these others uh, promoting this idea that nutrition comes from whole food. And I was uh, drinking powders and mixing things up in the office. And, and, and so they started to really, te really tease me. They would say, you know, Robert needs a drink to like tie his shoes and then a different drink to walk across the room and then another one to do this. And, you know, and they, they kept kind of teasing me and, and eventually I could see that, well, maybe, maybe it wasn't necessary. And then I took Dr. T. Colin Campbell's plant-based nutrition course uh, through Cornell University. It's just a, a relatively brief online course through the Center for Nutrition Studies. And that challenged the way that I looked at protein supplements and, uh, and processed foods, quite frankly. And so I was actually consuming, um, and I documented this, two to 300 grams of protein a day. I weighed about 195 pounds, many years into veganism, 15 years or so into the lifestyle. And back in 2012, I decided, you know what? Uh, I'm going to give this a try. I'm going to give this a try to just eat real food and no more sports supplements of any kind, not even protein bars, the good, tasty, you know, we all enjoy. Um, or the other powders that I just like the taste of, quite frankly, or I like the caffeine in them, or I like the sugar in them, or I like their flavor, or just the way it made me feel. Stopped all of that. And over the next few years, I get, became bigger and stronger than I'd ever been in my entire life eating real food. I'd never been more than 195 pounds. I got up to about 207 pounds at this point, And I was lifting the heaviest weight I'd ever lifted. Uh, even during this time of being 200 plus pounds, my macronutrient breakdown, which was documented for weeks at a time through um, chronometer and recording all the information, all the data was um, about 75% uh, of my calories coming from carbohydrate and 15 from protein and 15 from fat. And people, especially most my vegan bodybuilding friends and colleagues couldn't believe it. Like, what are you, what are you talking about? 15% protein, you know, and you're building muscle like bigger than you've ever been. And you're, you know, pressing 330 pounds on decline bench press and leg pressing a thousand pounds and using 120 pound dumbbells in each hand for chest press. Like, what are you talking about? 15%. And then I maintained that weight, you know, 205 to 210 pounds. And I did it again for six weeks. I documented everything uh, more recently, a few years ago. Guess what the numbers were then? 70, 10, and 20. 10% protein. <laughs> and people were like, you got to be kidding me. How is that even possible? And the reason it was possible, Teresa, is because I was still eating a calorie surplus. I was still doing over 3,000 calories per day and expending slightly fewer, 2,900 maybe or so. And that was all documented too. So I was in a calorie surplus every day to continue to maintain weight or build. I was doing con a consistent resistance weight training. So I was maintaining muscle mass and size and strength by using heavy dumbbells, barbells, machines, free weights, um, cables, the whole combination. I was consistent with that. And I was eating the foods that I enjoy eating, you know, um, potatoes and rice and beans and lentils and oats and yams and fruits, especially. And those things just naturally add up to a diet that is relatively low in protein, modest in fat and rich in carbohydrate. And so that's what I, that's what I've uh, been doing. And so when people say, where do you get your protein? I'm still getting like, you know, almost a hundred grams a day. I and mean, that's significantly lower than a lot of other people, my size at over 200 pounds, but that's what works for me because I'm still in a, in a calorie surplus. So my protein comes from all those things I just mentioned. You know, protein comes from uh, beans and lentils and nuts and seeds and leafy greens 
and grains, legumes of all types, tofu, things like that. For me, eating a ton of international cuisine and having burrito bowls being one of my favorite foods, it's a non-issue for me. And these days, I mean, I just, just last week, maybe, maybe 10 days ago, I reached 220 pounds. And again, it's a diet high in carbohydrate, uh, low in protein, modest in fat. And I've been doing this for almost a full decade now. And I've even dedicated my latest two books, uh, Shred It and Plant-Based Muscle, to that approach. And since we're just audio, our listeners can't see it. But as we're talking about weight gain here, Robert is like solid muscle. We're not talking like he's sitting around on the couch eating French fries and getting porky. He's he's sitting here flexing, and it's like I I met I met him in person once at the Albany Veg Fest in Albany, New York. And looking at you, I think your biceps are like as big as my head. So we're talking like really impressive muscle gains here, and you're making me want to experiment with my macros again because I'm always experimenting too because I am still small. Cause I'm only like five, I'm like five, six and I only weigh like 115 pounds. I can still go up, but definitely with muscles. So you're making me want to experiment and, uh, and play around a little bit. And I just ate and you're making me hungry. I mean, burrito bowls. I mean, as a matter of fact, I got to ask you, what, what is your favorite burrito bowl? Yeah, thanks. And thanks for that. Uh, shout out, Teresa. You know, I actually just got back from the gym, um, a little bit ago and I, I trained, I think 20 of the last 22 days and, and that's another, I just want to throw that out there too. It's another benefit of this plant-based diet. Recovery is insane. I mean, I'm training 90 minutes a day, two hours at a time. I'm 41 years old in a couple of weeks. I train really hard and I, I don't get sore. Um, partly, I think it's just, I've been doing this for a long time. Part of it is using some proper warm up and cool down, you know, some dynamic stretching in the middle routine, but you know, there's just the recovery is so good. So that's how I'm able to put on mass. And yeah, we're now it's like, it's really, it's really silly uh, that I, I started um, so small. In fact, my friend just today, just this morning, texted me a photo from when I was 18, looking so small. I just posted it as soon as he sent it to me. I posted it on Instagram and on Facebook. You got to check it out. It's, it's hilarious for multiple reasons. Partly my outfit, partly my hair, which I made myself have a mullet at 18 just for the fun of it. But um, to answer your question about the burritos, the burrito bowls. So um, obviously, you know, for me, uh, brown rice at the base and then um, black and pinto beans, maybe even some refried beans, uh, lettuce, tomato, avocado. And then I love things like pepperoncinis. Um, I just I, I use those as almost like a dressing on things. Like I just like to squeeze them uh, and, and add flavor. Jalapeno sometimes. Um, I like to add black olives to everything. And notice that I, I don't, um, I don't always go out of my way to add you know, tofu to things or a vegan meat to you know, ground vegan meat or anything. I just, I just don't, you know, I, and oftentimes I go out of my way. Uh, in fact, my wife gets kind of annoyed sometimes because <laughs> she'll like make a, two vegan pizzas and like one have the vegan sausage on it, one without, because I, it's like my 220 pound husband wants to limit his protein intake. <laughs> it's, it's actually, it's just kind of funny, but that's what I do. I actually go out of my way. Uh, I mean, I'll tell you, I just trained, um, I made it quick because I knew we had this podcast. I trained for an hour, but it was hard. It was just nonstop. And I've had two bananas and water since. That's not a typical meal afterwards. But like, again, it's just, I, I don't seek out this, like, I don't have to do a protein drink immediately or go after vegan bacon or, you know, vegan sausage or whatever. I just, uh, you know, something like a burrito bowl, high in carbohydrate, moderate protein from the beans and lentils and rice and vegetables and, and some, you know, fat mixed in there as well, especially from avocado and from some of the other things, beans, you know, that that's it. Like burrito bowl is as good as it gets for me. 
and uh, and I like to eat pretty uh, pretty simply. Still, you know, creative flavors and textures and tastes and all that, but I just don't get too complicated with it. You know, I like to eat sometimes for pleasure the the foods that I like, mo- mostly fruits and such, but also for their performance benefits as well. You know, if I'm going to go for a workout, I want to have something like berries or bananas or applesauce beforehand. So I get that carbohydrate fuel. And then afterwards, something like, like I just had you know, some bananas or other fruit to replenish carbohydrates lost and electrolytes and things like that. And then something a little bit have, heavier later on, like the rice and beans, uh, potatoes, yams, um, international cuisine, you know, plant-based sushi, that kind of stuff. I like that because I think a lot of people neglect the uh, the importance of having the carbohydrates. I work out fasted because I can't work out fed. It makes me sick. But I always go, like, right after that, I have my breakfast, and it's the same thing. It's, like, a bunch of vegetables and beans and healthy fats to make sure that, you know, you have that carbohydrate. Because so many people overlook that. Like you said, a lot of bodybuilders, they're just, like, mainlining plain chicken breast, which must get very boring and disgusting after a while. It's great to hear that... And I'm sure it's great for people who maybe are thinking about trying to start a fitness regimen or or upping their game that they don't have to do this like meticulous, I need X grams of protein at X time to be able to hit my goals. So on that kind of same vein, what do you feel we need to really be focusing on as our next big focus area for health and fitness? Because you have this different kind of paradigm with the way that you approach fitness. I took that T. Colin Campbell course too, so you've got that under your belt. You're very much the whole food plant-based. Where do you see us needing to go in our focus on the way we approach health and fitness just as a whole? Yeah, that's a a good question. I think it's a a multi-layered question. There's there's so much to consider there. I mean, the short answer is that we need to eat more real food, particularly more whole plant-based food, and uh, and make that just a a staple in our lifestyle. Just make that a common thing that that things like fresh fruits and vegetables, oats and beans and potatoes and yams and and you know whatever else, um, you know tofu, avocado, leafy greens. Have those as kind of the the core of what we eat. You know, I think that's that's hugely important, but I also think there's other areas, for example, uh, self-awareness. Uh, you, may, you probably know this from talking to people that are having guests on your show. Um, most people are not aware of what they eat. Like the, if you ask them to say, hey, you know what? Um, tell me what you eat in a typical day or tell me what to eat in, you eat in a typical week. They are essentially 100% of the time they're wrong. That's just the way it is. We do not know what we're eating. And there's a couple of reasons why. One is that uh, we feel bad about our bad habits. We don't want to talk about them. We don't want to admit them. We want to remember the things that we did well, the, the, the times we ate healthy food, the times we went to the gym, the times we worked out, the times we were nice to people. And we conveniently forget about the times we didn't work out, we didn't get adequate sleep, we ate junk food, food or sweets or treats or excess calories, or we're mean to people or didn't take our dog for a walk or whatever the case is. We forget about that stuff because it doesn't serve us doesn't make us feel good to think about it and so when you ask people you know so what t- types of foods do you eat you know oh i eat pretty healthy uh, it, it's very vague and even to recall uh, i mean people may consume something like chocolate every single day of their life yet not have the ability to recall it over the course of an entire week <laughs> that they've had it literally every every day or they may just assume they eat a, a fair amount of fruits and vegetables when, when the reality is they haven't had a salad since August, uh, but they just, you know, they think they do, but they haven't had leafy greens in the house, you know, in, in that 
month that they're having the conversation. So I, I think self-awareness has to be a part of it because, you know, if we're trying to reclaim our health, if we're trying to improve our diet, if we're trying to lose weight or build muscle or uh, improve endurance or um, reverse a, a disease or improve our wellness, we have to know where we are right now. And so I think it's important that people do some sort of audit or assessment where people document what they eat for a week or so. Uh, I'm not a big fan of, of counting everything, you know, counting calories or macros or whatever. I already gave you numbers that I've done it before because I thought it was important that I did it. It was important that I knew what I was doing. And by doing so, it helped me understand a variety of things about myself, um, such as I wasn't consuming as much water as I should, uh, considering that our bodies are 70% water, our muscles are 70% water, our brains are 70% water. I just went and I was living in Arizona, you know, of all places. I was also consuming three to 400 milligrams of caffeine. I was, I mean, I don't know what that equivalent is, you know, four cups of coffee a day, but I was doing it through yerba mate. I've never had coffee in my life, but I discovered I was, I was addicted to caffeine, but didn't really know it. I just thought I liked those drinks and I liked the flavors, but they also had like 16 grams of sugar, you know, 160 milligrams of caffeine. And because I documented that stuff, I was like, oh, I don't want to have to keep writing this down and admitting to myself that this has control over me and I don't have control over it. And so I stopped. It was very hard, <laughs> but I stopped caffeine in 2018 and haven't had it since, but it was very hard. In fact, I was lethargic, even just lying on the floor um, sometimes, you know, for months, I was just too tired. I was just like, okay, I'm at the computer, I sent two emails. Now I got to take a nap because for 10 years I'd hammered myself with uh, the equivalent of four cups of coffee a day or something without ever taking a break. So self-awareness might be the most important thing. And then with self-awareness and some sort of documentation, then we can make changes, which is then where the whole foods come in and start doing more of that. And then I think we just need, I mean, collectively as a society, I think we need just a better understanding of where our nutrition comes from. You know, people think, oh, I, man, uh, I don't have energy. I must need more protein. I mean, this is, these things are stated. I mean, and people, with absolute confidence, people are like, man, I, I, I'm really low on energy. I need more protein. Well, we know that protein is the least efficient macronutrient for, for energy. I mean, it's the least, it's completely inefficient for getting energy. Now, maybe what they're meaning is maybe they're, they're talking about satiety, um, feeling full or feeling nourished or something like that, which again, may have nothing to do with protein. I mean, you, you eat one or two big Yukon gold potatoes or yams or sweet potatoes. And I mean, you can't eat any more. You are satiated. You are full. You are nourished. You get this feeling of, of being energized and that's not protein, right? It's, it's volume, it's calories, it's complex carbohydrate, fiber, it's all this stuff. So I think we need to just need a better, uh, just be better informed as well. You know, that we, that we, I mean, also on this note too, Teresa, there's how many, how many people by the millions, by the millions are not active at all. They're not athletes. They're not active, but they're drinking protein drinks like crazy uh, on top of already a very heavy meat and cheese and animal based diet because they figure, well, that's what you're supposed to do for health. You know, drink a protein drink, which is, you know, very oftentimes very high in sugar and, uh, and a bunch of additives and essentially goes to waste because we're consuming so much protein throughout the rest of our day through all the food that we eat. So I think uh, if we have a better understanding of where 
nutrition comes from, uh, particularly nutrient density, how many nutrients per calorie in a food, uh, we can make uh, more informed decisions. As a former health coach, I'm with you on the awareness and on the knowing and understanding what protein does and what carbohydrates do and what fats do. People definitely, I'm with you on that. People definitely need to know all of that. And through your platforms, you're helping people find that out and to really understand how it works for, for health and for fitness and for, for putting on the muscle and all of these things where, you're right, people are so under-informed. So I'm always all for the educational piece. We're getting close to the end here, so I always ask my big question for everybody. If you had unlimited power and resources and you could bring about one change in the way that we approach health and fitness, what would it be? Sky's the limit. I think it would be to eliminate animals from our diet in every way possible, ending factory farms, ending this dependency on fast food and convenience food and, uh, you know, gas station snacks and restaurants that are on every corner, especially fast food restaurants in, in everywhere, anywhere America. I, I think that is the most important thing. The most important thing is eliminating animals from the food system. Animal agriculture contributes significantly to uh, global warming and climate change and and having an adverse impact on the environment from whether it's whether it's air pollution, greenhouse gases, water pollution, you know, we, and we even some of the very specific things we learned about in Dr. Campbell's course about um, the fishing industry, um, factory farm industry, the, the environment, the soil, like transportation, use of resources, the incredibly poor conditions that animals are bred into or born into um, just to be turned into someone's sandwich. Uh, and, then the, and then the horrible working conditions for, for humans who are in those slaughterhouses and processing plants to bring this food about, which then uh, comes back as being a contributor to the leading cause of death of, of humans, uh, heart disease, and, and, so, and, and a contributor to so many other common diseases that are the, the biggest killers um, of Americans and, and populations around the world. You look at all these, all these things, uh, I mean, hospital beds being filled um, with people with uh, plaque buildup in arteries and, and, and heart disease and heart issues and, and degenerative diseases, uh, these things just wouldn't happen. And, and we know, and we've done an, enough studies to know, I mean, there's, there's been, I referenced dozens of them in my latest book, um, whether they're, they're health studies on massive uh, populations of people for decades about just diet and lifestyle, or even, even within athletics, uh, people on plant-based diet compared in studies with those who are uh, omnivores and their performance uh, results on, on muscle mass, on, on endurance, on strength gain, on um, you know protein consumption and its reaction to the body within a physical fitness perspective. Like we have the data, so I, I think um, from a a compassionate standpoint, environmental standpoint, a human health standpoint, a resources standpoint, a um, financial impact, especially healthcare standpoint, the most important thing we can do is to eliminate animals from our food system. And many of us are doing it by the millions, uh, even if they say it's four or 6% of uh, people in the United States, you know, that's 4% out of 330 million is still significant, making a difference. And those around the world as well, where plant-based diet is far more common in certain regions. So that's the, that's the approach. It's obviously not something we can do overnight. Um, probably not something we'll do in our lifetime, uh, but it's something to strive for, I think, to work hard at. 
and to take seriously and to care about is that um, when we're making our food decisions, oftentimes for us, it's just a flavor preference, but for the animals, it's, it's their entire lives that are, that are gone, you know, to be on our plate. And most of the time they're, they're babies as well. You know, we don't eat a lot of adults. We mostly eat babies. Um, and, and that's partly because, you know, chickens grow so fast and chickens are the one of the most commonly consumed animals. Uh, I think they're slaughtered at like six weeks old and, and veal calves and lamb. I mean, lamb is, you know, it's a baby sheep, right? And these aren't, these aren't adults that we're eating. So for, for all those reasons, for all those reasons, I think as individuals, we can take accountability for ourselves to live as compassionately as possible and know, and hopefully over the last hour, I've been able to communicate that and know that your performance goals, your performance results do not have to suffer as a result of leaving animals off your plate. In fact, they can improve. Your recovery can improve. Your inflammation can get better. Your energy goes through the roof. Uh, your diet, your lifestyle, your, your, you reduce all cause, uh, you reduce risk of all cause mortality on a plant-based diet. Um, that we know from Dr. Greger's work and others. And, and this is important for us to embrace for ourselves and make a difference in the world around us and for those that we share the planet with. So where can people find you, connect with you, and uh, get into some more of what you've been writing lately so that they can learn more about this? Because honestly, we could go on for several more hours and still not touch everything. And I, I know that people are going to want to learn a little more. So let us know where people can find you. Yeah, thanks, Teresa. I, you know, I've been running veganbodybuilding.com for about 18 years now. And it's, it's actually going over a makeover right now because I have a brand new book called The Plant-Based Athlete. The Plant-Based Athlete comes out in a few months, um, spring, summer 2021. And so we'll have a brand new veganbodybuilding.com website, uh, a new look now that it's been almost two decades uh, in operation. And so uh, there, and also just, you know, Robert Cheek, my name sounds like your face, but with an E on the end. So C-H-E-E-K-E. And so you can find me on, uh, you know, the, the common social media uh, platforms, Instagram, Facebook. Uh, I have not used Twitter in quite a while uh, and I rarely use YouTube, but I am out there and I would really uh, encourage people to check out um, what I'm doing with Vegan Strong as well, veganstrong.com. I've been managing that nonprofit organization are co-managing it for the last three years, um, touring around the country when that was an option to tour, uh, showing people that plants have all the protein you need. And so I've, I've got my hands full with a lot of stuff. Um, I still have hundreds of pages to review for my latest book before it goes into print. And uh, I'm excited about what the future holds for plant-based athletes because of what Brendan Brazier and Scott Jurek and Rich Roll and the Game Changers and everyone has done. Um, Fiona Oaks and Ruth Heydrich and, and so many others have done to pave the way for people like me and others to live this plant-based athlete lifestyle and, and spread this message through um, conversations like this and through books and writing uh, of all types. So, uh, so thanks so much, Teresa. It's been, a, it's been a pleasure and I appreciate your questions today and the opportunity to share with your audience. Well, thank you, Robert, for being on the show. And everyone listening, you can check out the show notes to find all of those links. And I'll drop a link to information about Game Changers as well, since we keep referencing it. And I think I'll probably drop a link to the T. Colin Campbell plant-based nutrition course as well, because I've had several other people on the show who have taken it. I've taken it. Uh, like Robert said, it's a nice brief course that you can really, you still really dive pretty deep and you can learn a lot about the benefits of plant-based diet, not just for fitness, but for overall health and for the environment. So thanks again, Robert. Really enjoyed having you on. Thanks, Teresa. I really appreciate it. 
thanks again to Robert Cheek for joining me for February Fitness Month. And if you've been enjoying Fitness Month and the Modern Health Nerd podcast in general, please give us a review and a rating on your favorite podcast platform and share these episodes with your friends who are interested in fitness, interested in plant-based wellness, or just looking for some information on how to get healthier. Join me again next week for another deep dive into fitness, plant-based diets, and science. Yes, we're getting nerdy here on February Fitness Month next week. It's a conversation you really don't want to miss. So looking forward to having you back and have a great week.